Good morning. I am plenty loud. All right, how are you all doing this morning? Good. Well, we're headed towards Christmas, and this is really great. Just want to welcome you all here this morning, and uh, just as we get going, we also want to welcome everybody who's joining us online this morning. Thank you for being a part of us, even when you're not directly physically with us. That's really neat. If you're with us this morning and you don't mind just going out a full screen, going to a description, or going to the sidebar if you're on our website and let us know that you're here. That way we can just rejoice that you're with us this morning and pray alongside with you. Uh, there's a little spot that you can write a note like a prayer request if you want to as well, and we'd be glad to pray. There's also an option if you want to worship the Lord and giving online, you can do that through the website as well. And then for everybody here, just as a reminder, there is going to be a time to worship God through giving as well as we hand out the plates. But there are also the boxes, just like you always did previously, if that's a preference for you. We're looking at a few announcements of what's going to be happening in this upcoming time. Um, basically, this, this next week, just so you know, um, there's going to be a members meeting right after church today. The business meeting, annual business meeting, has been postponed a couple times. And so we are going to be meeting today right after church. Just keep that in mind. and. We'll be glad to see you there. Um, if you wanted to grab a copy of the proposed budget, I think there are still copies on the foyer table just on the back of this wall over here. Also, moving forward, away from business to more celebration, there's going to be an, a Christmas Eve service at 6 o'clock. I'll let you figure out what day that is. Um, but we would love to see you all here. It's always a really special time, really intimate, really close and um, just a great time to worship God and the fact that God, the God of the youth came to earth, and that's amazing. Also, there's going to be no Sunday school, nursery, or children's church on Christmas Day. There is going to be church, however. I have here, there will be a shorter sermon, and the will is capitalized. And so I don't know if Rachel is trying to convince Shane or something. There will be a shorter service. I don't know how to emphasize that. Maybe it was different. I don't know. Um, and then there are other announcements in the bulletin. There's a lot of, of course, uh, postponed or canceled uh, life groups because of the Christmas season. And so just look at the bulletin, contact your life group leaders, and see what is going or not. But with that, I just want to invite everybody to stand up, and we're going to say this month's verse with one another. So it's from Matthew 1.23. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us, Matthew 1, 23. And so if you would just stay standing, we're going to go into a time of music worship. There'll be a time for the kids to go down for the Sunday, uh, the kids sermon. And then we're going to have a, a sermon today looking at Joseph, it looks like, a stepdad. Hmm, I'm looking forward to hearing that, Shane. And so if you would just get ready for a time of singing together. Light the candle of God first, God bless first. How then during the Advent season, much of the, how much more I will see you all generations shall build up, established in the heavens. You have said, I have made a covenant. I have sworn. Titus 3 through 8. We also were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various desires and pleasures, living in evil and envy, filled with hatred and hating each other. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior towards mankind, appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to constantly, uh, you constantly to affirm, so that those who have believed in God 
by be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable for everyone. Luke 1, and Mary said, My soul magnifies and my spirit rejoices in God my son, for he has regarded the estate of his son. Surely from now on all generations, for he who is mighty has done and is holy. His mercy is, he has shown, he has scattered the proud in imagination. He has pulled down the mighty from exalted them. He has filled the hungry and the rich. He has helped his servant Israel of his as he has spoke to our father, to Abraham. You guys are dismissed at Children's Church. Um, thanks for singing for us. Oh, there's batteries up here. Oh my goodness. All right, here. All right, well, my name is Shane. Uh, I'm pastor here at First Baptist. We're so glad to have you here with us. Uh, I got a question for you. <clears throat> have you ever had a phone call that changed your life? You ever had a phone call like that? I was sitting in my office one day, uh, and I got a phone call, and it was a, a little lady in our church that did foster care. And uh, she called me, she said, Shane, I've got a little baby boy here. Uh, he's just about a month old, and he's going to need a forever family someday. He's in the foster care system now, and it doesn't look like he's going to be able to have a family. Would you be interested? And as I stood there, shocked, you know, it was like, God, why is she calling me? Why is this happening? We were, we, my wife and I had been pursuing adoption, and uh, we wanted to adopt a, a baby, but we really were kind of terrified of foster care because we thought if we got into foster care, we were going to give our hearts to a little kiddo or a little baby and then have to maybe see them go back home to a family. And, and that was going to be just almost too much heart wreck for us. And so we were really hesitant about foster care. But as I got this call, I felt like God was saying, Shane, you need to take note here. You need to pause and pray here. And that phone call got me thinking. And so uh, I talked to Becky and we spent some uh, a week or two weeks praying. And we decided to go and meet this little boy. And so here's the first day that we got to hold Gideon in our arms, in my arms. He was a, just not quite two months old at this time. And I'll never forget when I held him in my hands, when I held him in my arms, I remember he just looked up at me, he smiled, and it was in that moment I said, I looked over at Becky, I said, honey, this is our son. And I can't explain to you why I felt that. I can't explain to you why I knew that to be true. I just did. And we still had to get into the foster care system. We spent two, like, you're, you have four weeks of training to become a foster parent. Um, and we did that in about a week and a half. Uh, and so we went through this foster care uh, program. We became foster parents. And then as soon as we got involved, all of a sudden, birth parents, birth mom got back involved and came back on the scene. And our, our worst nightmares seemed to fruition. It was like, God, what are you doing here? And we were able to, to take him in then, and we were able to be his foster parents for much of his early, uh, much of his early life. We got him right at about two months, and we got to, to care with him. But it was in faith, knowing that why God, why God did you have us do this thing that we were so afraid of? And as we walked through this foster care, uh, foster care it became a foster care adoption. When mom realized that she, his birth mom realized that she wasn't going to be able to take care of him. Um, she had a, a wonderful conversation with our daughter, um, Evie, who tried to share Jesus with her. And she said, if your daughter is so compassionate and wants to share Jesus with me, I want my son to be. And uh, that 
man, that, that changed our lives. So this is a picture of when we first got to meet Gideon. Gideon, I, when I held him in my arms, I knew he was going to be my son, that I was going to adopt him one day. I didn't know how that was going to happen. Well, eventually, at about two years, right, when he turned two, we got, to, we got a little shirt that says, finally a Rosti. Um, finally a Rosti. And so you've, many of you have seen him running around. He is my absolute little best buddy. Uh, he is the, one of the joys of our family. And so I tend to think about, when I think about my story with Gideon, I tend to think about this idea of Joseph. And when he first hears about what is going to befall him, would you, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 1. We're going to read verses 18 through 25. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. And I'm going to read that for us. <clears throat> Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Follow along with me. I'm reading in the ESV. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she, she was found to be ch with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Everybody say amen. When Joseph woke up from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name, everybody say it with us, Jesus. He called his name Jesus. Man, I, I think there's a surprising story here when we begin to consider Joseph. We're going through a series this Christmas. It's 100%. We're calling it the 100% all-natural miraculous Christmas. And we've learned that God entered human history through really natural means in really natural people's lives, using their natural rhythms of life. We talked about the shepherds and their everyday uh, we talked about the everyday opposition that we face through guys like Herod. Today, we talked about Mary and living in anticipation. Many of us have to live with expectation and anticipation. Well, today, we're going to look at Joseph. We call him the, the stepdad or the adopted dad of Jesus. Isn't that crazy that we could look at this guy taking on this role of being really a stepdad to the Messiah? What? What a privilege. What a miracle. But I, I have to wonder, did Joseph always think that? <clears throat> well, the first thing uh, that I want us to look at, if you look at a passage, there's several different passages in Scripture, in the early law, in the Old Testament, that talk about the situation that Joseph and Mary were finding themselves in. And this is really important. If you notice in that passage, Joseph was called what? He was recorded as a, a just man, her husband Joseph being a 
just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. This is really, really interesting because as we see, I think Joseph is going to reveal to us a real heart of God, the real heart of God. If we look into how he handles this situation, we see in passages like Deuteronomy 22, 23 through 24, that the situation that he found himself in, he had every right to be upset before he had the dream. His betrothed wife was pregnant. And many people, when they'd see that, they would have said what? Scandal. They would have said, this is not okay. This is crazy. See, when we talk about that, that term betrothed, betrothed, um, betrothed actually meant that they were basically married. The way marriage was handled back then, when you were betrothed, uh, the man had to pay a dowry to the, the, the wife's family. And it was basically like a, a, a transaction. Ladies, I know this sounds really romantic, right? You were basically bought back then and you were treated as, you know, really as, as an aspect of property. But so if they were betrothed, you need to understand that Joseph had already paid money. He had already entered into what would be seen as kind of a transaction. Mary would be living with his family. Now think about that. When Mary finds out, when Joseph finds out, Mary's living with Joseph's family. That's interesting and then you have, even to, to like the plot thickens or gets messier, you look at a passage like Deuteronomy 22, 23 through 24, and this is probably the harshest uh, version, uh, but there's several other passages that talk about this situation, and I'm going to read it for you. If there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Both of them knew this passage. That's terrifying. Can you imagine finding yourself in a situation where the law of God actually says, man, there's some like heavy consequences here. Can you imagine how terrified they would be or how much shame Joseph could see himself taking on Right, but so he, in order to preserve preserve Mary, he had this heart of God for her. He chose shame instead of claiming his rights. He had every right to come down against Mary before this dream, didn't he? According to the law, he could have really blown this thing up, but he was a just man. I think this is interesting. As I thought about this passage, and I thought about the fact that the, the Bible calls him a just man, wouldn't we say that a just man would follow the letter of the Old Testament law? Wouldn't we say that that was a just man? But it almost seems like he decided not to come down and shame her and dishonor her. Therefore, he was called a just man. There's a problem here. What's going on? Well, I think we're going to see the heart of God in Joseph because when we begin to consider the law, we began to consider this aspect of the law that is more about the heart of the law or the spirit of the law and not the letter of the law. Let me tell you what I mean. In fact, Paul's going to show you what, what I mean in 2 Corinthians 3. If you got your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 9. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 through 9. And in 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 9, it says this, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. 
Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Now, he's talking about salvation, right? When we become Christians, we're not sufficient in and of ourselves. We don't deserve anything. I've used... uh, I've used the example when you ask how somebody's doing or ask how somebody's doing and they respond better than I deserve, right? That's the Christian's attitude because we know it's not by our righteousness that we're made right with God. It's because of what Jesus did. We're not sufficient in ourselves. We don't deserve to be claiming rights for ourselves. God has poured out his gift of grace on us. So we ought not walk around with this attitude of I deserve, I deserve. That's called entitlement. You see what I'm saying? So a Christian does not have an attitude of being entitled, but let's continue in that passage. If It's the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death carved in the letters of stone, you guys know what stone he's talking about? The stone tablets, the Old Testament, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end. Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was a glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed in glory. So here he's saying, Paul is saying, the Old Testament came with glory and the Old Testament's job is basically to show us we are not good enough, that we fail at righteousness, that we fail at behaving. Anybody, amen? We're not good at it, right? And so it came with such glory that Moses' face shone, but here Paul's saying there's something about this new covenant, this new law who comes in Christ, that is worth more glory, worth more glory. And it's called, the, it's, it's practice of the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. You ever been around somebody who's like the stickler? Who's like all about every rule? Some of you are pointing at each other right now. Somebody who knows that like, there's that black and white thinker. And if there's like uh, in the bylaws, there's like that caveat, a or, or B issue, right? They know about it and they're going to hold you to the, the fire on that, right? <clears throat> well, there's kind of a heart behind that, right? So when we talk about the law of God, we say that the law of God is good, but can you use the law of God to condemn? Yes. Is that the spirit of the law? No, the spirit of the law is to lead us to salvation. The spirit of the law gives us life. And so here Joseph finds himself at a position to be able to hang it over Mary's head, the law, but he chooses not to. He chooses the spirit of the law, which gives life. So what does he do? He walks away from claiming his own rights, defending his own honor, and he chooses shame. This is before the dream, right? And he chooses to do it in a way that would preserve her honor. Man, this is the heart of God, isn't it? We have passages from Jesus. He says, turn the other cheek. I remember when I, first, uh, when I first taught that to youth, I said, turn the other cheek. So I was like, I was trying to explain, if somebody comes and just punches you in the face, you're supposed to turn the other cheek. And if they punch you again, you're supposed to take that. Because that's, that's how our Lord and Savior took the hits for us, right? And I remember the youth looking at me like, no, man, I'm just going to punch that kid right back in the face. I'm going to make him pay, 
for what they did to me. That's, that's kind of the mentality today, isn't it? If you hurt me, I'm going to do what? I'm going to hurt you. Joseph is the, man, he is portraying the heart of God, and he gets this written in Scripture, recorded in Scripture, that he is a just man because he didn't just stand on what was right, what wasn't just to stand on his own honor, but he let go of his rights. Instead of claiming his rights, he chose shame because that was the kindness, that was the kind way to move forward. And I believe there's an indicator that's the heart of the Lord. We have passages in Scripture that talk about the kindness of our Lord leads us to what? Repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Isn't that incredible that we get this heart from Joseph? Should we be people waiting for people to make a mistake or people ready to overlook a fault? Because brothers and sisters, when we're Christians, we're not those people waiting on Facebook for somebody to mess up so that we can comment 10 times. We're not sitting and waiting for some star to do something dumb and be surprised by it and then be like, this is our opportunity to be an internet troll or somebody in our life. We don't constantly sit and wait and pick for those folks to mess up because we know we're all gonna mess up, aren't we? See, the heart that Joseph had is the heart that we could have as believers. And see, this is why I think, man, we see the heart of God in Joseph. What a privilege the world through the internet has to try to make you, oh, and so here, let me explain it this way. All of you, the world has put you in a position to be judge and jury. It's constantly asking for you to do that, isn't it? You need to judge them. You need to judge those people. The internet has just blown this up. You get an opinion on everything, right? We get to be the judge and the jury of the deeds of others, you're readily encouraged to have an opinion or a judgment on others as if you are God. But the spirit of God, uh, the spirit of the law does what? Gives life. So Christians, I want you to think about the difference in attitude. I can't wait to condemn people and catch people, or I can't wait to see people be given life. You see the difference there? Sometimes those two things don't, don't look necessarily different, but what's different? The motivation, the heart behind it. We should follow the rule and the law of God's word, shouldn't we? But the heart that we pursue that is extremely important. You can follow the Bible and be completely parted from God, can't you? The Pharisees achieved it. You may know some people in your life that have followed the letter of the law and the word of God, but walked away from him. <clears throat> the other thing we see in Joseph, because he put away his rights, this lack of self-entitlement, he didn't seek to preserve his honor because, see, the thing about being a dad, it's not really compatible with being self-entitled, is it? You ever tried to be a dad and be self-entitled? Like, you end up having to do some really humiliating things as a dad. And see, this is Joseph. He's going to have to walk in this adoption, and he can't walk in it with self-entitlement. But this is why I think the Scriptures call him a just man. He was unwilling. And then what a great privilege then God gives him to be the adopted dad to the Messiah. <clears throat> but see, I think many of us in the church today, self-entitlement gets in the way of us being spiritual dads and spiritual mothers to the people in our church. Would you guys say that? I think a lot of us, when we look at our involvement in church, I think we have to check the boxes first. We have to say, did I get my entertainment in? Did I meet with my nuclear family, my blood relatives? How, do I got my finances in order? Have I pursued all of my leisure activities first. 
okay, now that I have all that done, I'm going to be a spiritual dad or mom to somebody in the church. You see what I'm saying? Joseph chose, or Joseph stepped into the role of adopted dad, but many of us today as Christians, it uses the term, terminology, you ever notice, you wonder why we call each other brothers and sisters? It uses these really familial terms in, in, in the church. In fact, Paul encourages Timothy to talk to older men in the church as if they were fathers. And then we have passages like in Titus that talk about let the older women mentor the younger women, let the older men mentor the younger women. And kind of this idea that they would be spiritual mentors, spiritual mothers and fathers. Church, in order to do that, we have to walk away from our own self-entitlements and sometimes choose shame. We have to sometimes choose uncomfort. And Joseph is a perfect role model for us of doing that. See, Joseph saw all those things as things to use to invest in making, uh, in, in being this stepdad for Jesus. <clears throat> Instead of seeing all of those check boxes as something that prevents you from being a spiritual mother or an adopted father of, of somebody in the, in the, the church, um, seeing those things as something to teach. And see, we have later on in Scripture, if you turn to Mark 6, 3, um, you can see that Jesus is referred to as a what? He's referred to as a carpenter. His title is carpenter. You know where he got that? From his stepdad. Joseph was a carpenter. He learned the trade from his dad. And so here we have, we have Joseph being able to step into this role as adopted father. We see his humility with how he responded to Mary. But then we have this indication from the, the ministry of Jesus that he taught Jesus, the trade of carpentry. Now, this could have been more stonemasonry. This word is used, a lot of us kind of get this idea of a guy in a wood shop. That's not necessarily the case. Um, that, that most likely it would have been kind of like a stonemason. Um, but if you look in Jesus's ministry, look at how much his adopted father influenced his ministry. Have you ever looked at this? This is incredible. This is so cool. <clears throat> He asks things in parables like who would, who would start building without considering the cost? Who do you think he learned that from? His stepdad. He talked about building on the right foundation, the chief cornerstone, the language of building. Where do you think he got that? What a privilege. Can you imagine? <laughs> like you got to teach the Messiah. And he maybe didn't use it to build, but he used it to build in a different way, didn't he? <clears throat> Uh, he, uh, in a parable about assistants that grumble about pay, do you think he ever had his dad or saw his dad or even himself walk through having assistants that grumble about their pay? I think so. <clears throat> How about a dishonest boss? I know none of us have ever had to be around a dishonest boss, right? But in Luke 16, 1 through 16, Jesus discusses the dishonest boss. Where do you think he learned all those things? <laughs> From Joseph. Isn't that precious? Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing then that he can, through, through Joseph, I think, and through this story, we could be called to being adopters. Let me tell you what I mean. In the church, the older men are to view the younger as sons, and, and, the older as, and so the sons then, the younger people are to view the older as fathers, and also for women, mothers and daughters. Honor your father and mother then, I think of the, old, I think of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. Young people, we should be getting with and honoring those spiritual mothers and fathers that we have in the church. And vice versa, older generations, can I ask you a question? Please don't check out. 
We need you. We need spiritual mothers and fathers. And if you're there, grandpas and grandmas, we need you. And we need you not to retire, but we need you to be adopters of us young folk. I still count myself young. Is that okay? <clears throat> but see, Joseph got this unique and incredible privilege that we could, we could step into today in, in God's church. See, one of the things taught to us and modeled by Joseph as we end then, so um, taught Jesus everything he knew in Mark 6, 3. Joseph taught Jesus everything he knew. Oh, I forgot this really cool quote. I'm, I'm kind of a, a Tolkien guy. I really like that, but uh, this is an incredible quote. Many that live deserve death, and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them? Then do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment, for even the very wise cannot see how it all ends. To go back to, um, to Joseph not calling out Mary or shaming Mary like he had every right to do. Um, <clears throat> All right, so I want to finish with this point. Verse 25, he practiced self-control. Why is this an important aspect of this passage? Because we see Joseph, the stepdad, walk out the self-control that I think is pretty miraculous, pretty amazing. See, he's already showing us that he is sacrificing his expectations for God's purposes. How many of us would do that? That we would sacrifice our expectations for God's purpose. What do you think Joseph's expectations were for marriage? to have a family, right? To have a wife. It got a little bit more complicated, but what did Joseph do? Did he run through the encouragement of this dream? No, he walks it out, sacrificing his expectations for God's purposes. And in fact, it says that he knew her not, meaning that he had this kind of self-control that I think many of us men cannot imagine or cannot fathom. I talk about this in our premarital counseling sometimes, uh, when we encourage young couples to wait and trust in God's plan for marriage. See, do we trust what God has to say about marriage? Do we have the kind of self-control to wait until marriage? Today, it, the culture is kind of to just move in together and to start practicing all of the benefits of marriage without any of the commitment, correct? What has that done to the state of marriage in our culture? It's destroyed commitment, hasn't it? It's destroyed commitment. But if we trust the way that God has uh, when we meet with young couples, we encourage them that God's plan is to build this kind of trust, to build this kind of trust in a relationship and this kind of friendship in a relationship before you get married. If you're able to practice self-control, like for example, when you're engaged all the way up until your wedding day, you've displayed what? If you're able to say no to your spouse, even though you're already committed, what's that communicate to a spouse? that you'll say no to other people as well until the time is right, right? And there isn't a, a right time. So, um, so what we see here is Joseph practicing this kind of self-control that, man, really calls us all to a new level uh, of practice in our relationships. I wondered as I read through that, what would it look like for the church to practice this kind of self-control? What if we practice this kind of self-control when we realize that we were merely expressing things like an opinion and not an important truth? We practice this self-control across the board. How many of you have a tendency to have what this thing called foot and mouth disease, right? When you accidentally say something that you know was more hurtful and not helpful, you ever been a part of that? What if we practice the kind of self-control that Joseph is displaying here? What if we practiced this in such a way that we stopped expressing opinions and started speaking truths over each other? 
What if we did that in the church? I think we see the heart of God in Joseph with this. I had a, a grandma who, uh, you know, there's kind of this, this point in our lives, I think, where we begin to just uh, stop screening what we say sometimes. And, and my grandma got to this place where she was just really blunt with people. And I'll never forget, we had a Christmas where there was a family member. She just walked up and she said, hey, you're getting kind of fat. And that, that hurt, right? That hurt. But what if, what if that, that kind of speech with one another, what if we practice the kind of self-control in the church? Sometimes those little bites that we give each other, right? How about those, Facebooks, those Facebook posts when we put each other on blast? How many of you have seen a debate on Facebook? What if we practice self-control and just said, you know, I'm not going to go there. Facebook is not going to be helpful um, in getting my point across. See, James talks about taming the tongue in the book of James. I think uh, it talks about the tongue and our speech being a rudder that steers the ship of our lives, a spark that can burn down a forest. You ever heard the saying uh, that uh, sticks and stones may break my bones? But that's just such a lie, isn't it? It's just such a lie. But here we see Joseph practice a kind of self-control in, in sexuality there um, and within marriage. But what if we practice that same principle of self-control? And I think about then our adoptions, our spiritual adoptions within the church. What if we were people who spoke that over each other and encouraged one another and didn't say the things that we didn't need to say? So what? <clears throat> I want you to walk away with this today. If you hear nothing else from me, Jesus is worthy of us laying down our rights and our privileges to serve. Amen? He's worthy of that. He's worthy. How much more glory is he worthy of? The other thing is, uh, do you, have you ever considered or do you adopt the church as if they were sons and daughters, dads and mothers? Have you ever thought about adopting the church? See, I think the church right, right now is more of an organization. Universally, we come and we sit and we face the same direction. And sometimes we'll go on Sunday, but what if, what if we truly had investment in one another? as sons and daughters and mothers and fathers? What if we across the board adopted each other like the way that Joseph adopted the Messiah? Imagine the ministry that would happen out of this church if we were people who were willing to invest in it. So would you uh, bow your heads, close your eyes. I'll ask our elders to come up. I want to just give you a time, a moment to talk to our Father in heaven. Would you talk to him, check in with him, and ask, ask him how the life of Joseph and his adoption of Jesus impacts or challenges you. Just spend a moment talking to God about that.